This week on Invasion the Podcast, Netflix is now extremely wicked, shockingly evil, and vile. We take a look back at Batman's death in the family. And then, are you ready for some football? We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a spaceship. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Flying saucers have invaded our planet. People of the of tension. It's the invasion of the podcast. The whole world is under attack. Can it survive? And welcome to Invasion of the Podcast, where we try to take the world over, take over the world. Who knows? We take we take over stuff. Invasion of the Podcast, where we try to take over the world one listener at a time. I am Paul, and my left is Steve. This weekend, I took over Paul's living room, so... <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that you had like a little first aid station. Well, it was actually just a cooler full of beer, like by you. So yeah, uh, was that, like, it was. When Kathy left. I was like, oh, I'm just gonna move the beer right over by me. <laughs> yeah. I never saw that. I heard clunk clunk, and I was like, it was like someone opening a car trunk in here. I don't know. Like, uh, no, it was uh, it was great. Like for so a uh, little little inside baseball here. I have we have a really tiny. I mean, it's not a tiny apartment. It's not the biggest, but when you try to fit like 17 people in one room. It gets then extremely tiny. Yes. Uh, so, uh, having a party normally when I invite people over, it's uh, you know it's a coin flip of who's going to show up and who isn't. And this time, like a lot of people showed up within a two hour window, so it was more like okay, we could make this work. We can make oh, there's more. We can make this work. Oh, there's more. And it was all yeah. And it wasn't just like a party. It was like sitting and watching a movie. So I might just have to invest in beanbag chairs or something just to like keep in storage and have to bust them out. Uh, but get out the emergency beanbag chairs. Emergency <laughs> like break. In case of party, uh, no. So, like, I actually saw a meme recently. That said, um, "Beanbag chairs are just sofas without bones." Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's that's fair. Uh, but yeah, we had a party at our place. We uh, so I do this thing. It's the third year we've done it because uh, I was kind of frustrated with football uh, in terms of like who was playing the game that that a couple years ago. So I decided that Sunday I was just going to watch action movies instead, and I call it Super Bro. And so some people came over, but then everyone's like, "Oh, we're going to watch the game." I'm like, "No, we're going to watch. We're going to watch movies." They're like, "Oh, I kind of want to watch the game." It's like, "Well, do you like <laughs> this? What what part of this did not like make you know?" So then, so then the next year I set up for Saturday. Everyone's like, "Oh, I thought you did this on Sunday." I'm like, Can, "Just does it matter?" Like it was just like this thing of like just come over like right so i picked saturday now because people do want to go watch the game and so i had people over yeah. we watched uh the, the rules are just 80s action movies so we got through five out of six so that's actually what did we miss uh 2019 the fall of new york oh, or after right, the fall of right, new york right. uh but considering like the year before we like, got through like four of them like you know and next so, year we'll reach our goal Maybe, or I'll just pick four movies and then we'll feel better about ourselves. Uh, but uh, yeah, um, there was some great things in there I've never seen before. Uh, Battle Truck, not a great thing, never seen it before. Uh, Action Jackson was amazing. Uh, kind of lost his steam about halfway through, but then the ending was great. So if yeah. you guys have not seen Action Jackson, cannot recommend just Carl Weathers is awesome in that. And there's some great one liners and then some one liners that don't make any sense whatsoever. Yeah, there's a phenomenal opening to it as well. Yes, uh, you will believe a man can fly 
while that on fire burst into flames <laughs> yeah that's uh yeah it's great and then uh, obviously we watched uh like obviously like yeah you guys know all 80s action movies um Hard ticket to Hawaii. Like that was the one everybody was excited for. And that we, we had the most people in for, and I think people were just tickled by this film, this, uh, soft core porn, sleazy action Island, like Hawaiian Island movie. Like it's, Oh yeah. yeah. While we were sitting there, I ordered the collection of his other films because it was $6 <laughs> on Amazon should be arriving today or tomorrow. See, so, you're, you're a believer now, right? Yeah. But I, but as a, as, as a friend of the show, Kevin, who's one introduced me to, to, uh, to this and he's my co-host on strange highways. Uh, I, I think this is the peak of the movies, but still it's, it's an amazing peak to have yeah. where you have a, a snake that is contaminated full of cancerous rat blood, uh, that is now loose. And it's like, you just see it every so often in the movie. Like, is it coming back? It comes back. You know. And rocket launchers that sometimes blow things up, sometimes don't. No, no, you know. And uh, sometimes it's, you just do your best thinking in a hot tub with your top off. <laughs> like, you know, whatever. That's what I do. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, and we watched Hands of Steel, which we talked about on the show, because had I had to show that. And I liked that. I was telling our one friend, I was like, you do not know how this movie's going to end. And like that freeze frame <laughs> of like, and then that started the future war or something. It's like, all right then. Um, and then the most controver- controversial view of the evening was uh, Robot Jocks. Um, just because I am right about what that movie's really about, and but the movie didn't show it. So it's weird how I'm right, but then the thing that I believe I'm right about is not actually in the film whatsoever, but I'm adamant that I'm right about it. So, so let yeah. me set the stage for you here, folks. <laughs> We're maybe five, ten minutes in to Robot Jobs. I was so excited to drop this knowledge bomb or tease it. And there's yeah. probably six of us left. Yeah. And uh, Paul you know, takes a moment and he's like, hey, everybody. Let's see if you can guess what this character's flaw is. Like, what's this person's character flaw? Um, I believe some of them were like, you know, he loves too hard. Um, I think I said alcohol. Um, I don't remember what some of the other ones were, but (laughs) Paul's like, oh, you guys are all way off. Yeah. I jokingly said... He never learned to read, which you did not hear, but oh. Mary did hear. Oh, okay. I did not. Yeah. To be fair, I was also drunk at but the I time. But I was doing so. the Wayne's World thing. Yeah. It wasn't like my serious thought. Yeah. We're like, I don't know, 10 minutes from the movie ending, and we have no clue like how much longer the movie's going to go because we haven't stopped it, but... We were all under the impression that there was still a lot of movie to go. Well, I mean, to be fair, regardless of my front selling it, yeah, we really thought there was a lot more of the movie to go. <laughs> the movie just stops. There's reasons for that. I mean, it tells the story, but it, it just when it's done, it's done. It's out the door. Credits are like goodbye. You know, we'll pick up later. <laughs> like that's. But we're all sitting there in eager yeah. anticipation of finding out what this character's flaw is, and we're uh, like, fine, just tell us. Yeah. We don't know. Yeah. And he's like, he never learned to read. And we're like, what? Like, there's been no mention of this at all. And then the movie literally, like, ended five minutes later. And then people just looked at me like, I, like, one, I'm crazy, which, fair enough. But it's like, I saw this as a kid, and I'm adamant that is the flaw. And I believe that there's something in the movie that there's dialogue or something that we did not pick up on because we were all tired and drunk. That's my theory is that the truth is in there. The truth is in Robot Jock, Steve. I will find it. I mean, it's funny, too. When I'm talking about like the movie ending, I had, because I had my wife drop me off because I knew I was going to be drinking and I would just Uber home. And I was like, ah, oh, it's getting kind of late. I'm going to order my Uber just thinking that like, oh, it might take them a little while because it's Saturday night to get here. 
they were at the house within like three minutes. Minutes, however, the, at that the film point, ended in two and a half minutes. Right, we're like, you were like, oh, you're gonna miss the the ending, and I'm like, well, how much more is there to go? You're like, I don't know, there's quite a bit, and then it just, just stopped. Ended. <laughs> <laughs> so clearly, I I was right about everything, you know. No, I it's, I struggle. Like this is gonna be normally whenever I whenever I am absolutely right about something this this sounds like you know sex panther 60 percent of the time it works every time <laughs> uh, whenever I'm like that Adam and I I am usually like right like my brain's locked in I'm right yeah this was such an overreach on my part and now I will never be able to live this down like I feel like everyone's gonna be like oh yeah is it like that guy I can't read robot jocks like yep <laughs> that's exactly what it is but I'm gonna watch that movie again sober and awake and I'm gonna f- and if I have to pre- present doctored audio where the guy says I can't read, I will do that. I will slap it together and make my own cut of the film to prove that I'm right. I was just gonna say too because if, if there's any you know of our listeners out there who are big fans of Robot Jocks, if there is a subplot about him not being able to read, please tell us about it on our Facebook. Yeah, I mean, maybe yeah. we should like <laughs> we should we should do a game sometime where we take a bunch of movies and then we come up with character flaws for. <laughs> The characters in the movie that they never mentioned, <laughs> like you, like 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 we talked about previously, like with the Shining, where it's like the character has a secret that only they know about. Right. Like that would be, and it just informs the rest of the film. I like it. So yeah, that was a that was a long day of having fun, and then uh, you know drinking and and you know um, I don't know gallivanting about whatever. Uh, and then yesterday was Super Bowl. Oh uh, yeah, by the way, we're recording this early. It's going to come out later. It's you, just deal with it, like everybody. Just, like, just, just deal, deal with, with it. it. Just deal with it. Like that guy overcame his ability not to read and robot jocks. You're going to deal <laughs> with it. Um, yeah, Super Bowl happened. That was. I went to a buddy's house. We watched it. It was. I've only seen two football games this season. It's the entirety. One was the first week of the Browns where they mm-hmm. went to overtime and tied the Steelers and then the Super Bowl. Like I've seen bits and pieces here and there through the season because normally football's on Sundays. I'm busy. <laughs> like yeah. and to sit down and watch an entire game is like three and a half hours. And it's like, you know, I could be playing video games or something or watching knockoff films or whatever it was I was doing. <laughs> so this is like the only other game I sit down and watch in its entirety. And it, I love football. And it, it, but it's still just defeating. And this is part of the reason why I started Super Bowl to begin with. The Patriots just make me not want to watch football. So I'm like, I'd rather just watch anything other than. So I think that's why I was like, action movies. That's a good idea. Yeah. So that was my day of just kind of, I just, it's been, a, it's been a lot of buildup. And now I'm just trying to just get normal again. Like it was just a lot of media, you know? And yeah. And now we're, here we are. Well, thankfully, you get to go back to work tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it's, yeah, that's that's the part I'm looking forward to is this getting back to that regular schedule of expectations and, and delivery, right? So, yeah, that was that was the weekend. I'd ask you how your weekend were, but you were here maining your cooler. Yes, like, and then um, and then you didn't watch football yesterday. No, I did not. I watched Amityville to the possession. <laughs> <laughs> Sure. I mean, why not? Like, I mean, I, there was a box set put out by Scream Factory, and I hadn't gotten to it, so I was like, oh, I'll throw this in. Yeah, that, that that's fair. So, all right. Um, yeah, let's just uh, let's get to the we'll get to the news. Good news, everyone. The news is in the future. If you want to operate a robot mech, you do not have to read. That's the news. I'm, no. Okay. I have to put that to bed. But so one thing I did do on Sunday morning, and this actually ties into our first bit of news, is that I ended up finishing up the uh, the Ted Bundy um, 
whatever it was called, the documentary that was on Netflix, the conversation with the killer, the Ted Bundy tapes. It was four episodes on Netflix, uh, about an hour each. The last one was like hour 20, whatever. Since I have a problem right now committing to anything, that felt like the appropriate amount of time <laughs> for me to be able to watch like a full thing. Yeah. So I'd watched the first episode, I think the day before, and I watched the other three um, Sunday morning. Uh, like I, I am a sucker for well done, like, um, you know, crime documentaries or true crime documentaries. I don't like that there's this thing now where people are just like chomping at the bit for the next one. Cause that then means that inadvertently you're hoping for more bad things to exist in the world yeah. to have somebody tell you their story, you know? So it's like, you know, I could enjoy like a really well done story, especially there's things in this Ted Bundy thing. I did not know about that. I, you know, obviously, you know, the name, you know, that this guy killed a b- bunch of women and it's terrible and horrible. I remember like, do you remember like the, the night he was executed? Like that was a big deal. That was a big, I had no memory of it. And then watching the documentary, I was kind of like blown away. I, I just remember the big thing. Well, who, who was it? The one, the Reverend guy, whatever went in to get like, um, was it Jerry Farwell or someone, someone like that? That was Jerry getting Falwell? Yeah. Farwell Farwell was, it was one of those or, um, uh, Dobson, Lou Dobbs, Lou Dobbs, like whatever. Well, a religious guy had the final interview with Bundy right before they took him to the electric chair. That's even the documentary for like a second. They mentioned it. I remember that being a big deal because they were supposed to show that like immediately after or something. And I just, as a kid, like I was what, um, 10 whenever that happened. So I remember a little bit about it, but knowing his story about the various investigations and how it happened across the country and how eventually the pieces got put together. And then also the weirdness of his various escapes. Mm-hmm. I didn't know about that part. Like that was a no. uh, crazy. This well, t- the first escape isn't even all that impressive. It's just that like nobody was paying attention. And yeah, and he, he was, was like, just yeah. like, Hey, nobody's paying attention. And he just escaped for like a week. Yeah. It was like, all right guys later. And it was like, you know, weird stuff. Right. So weird, wild stuff. I'm sure that's what well, uh, I think he jumped from like a second story window and somehow was fine. Well, cause he even said that he was practicing strengthening his legs for the drop. Like he actually planned this out in advance. So, they're, they're, it's a, a interesting documentary. Uh, so the point is, uh, watch it. Um, it's like it's very bingeable, you know, and fascinating because this guy, being the monster that he is, he loved attention and loved being in the limelight. So there's a lot of information about him in terms of his the way he wanted to present himself to the world. So just hearing his own conversations about everything, it's like it's fascinating, but also just like sick because mm-hmm. it's like this guy, you know what he's capable of doing. You've seen the aftermath and this the way it's like, wow, this guy actually does kind of have some charm, you know? But- well, I, I thought it was interesting that, um, you know, when they were creating these tapes, he was not. When they first started, he had not admitted that he'd done any of this. Yeah. So they were trying to get it out of him. And the one interviewer was like, well, I'm going to switch up tactics. I'm going to ask him how he would have done it. Basically asking him to refer. Like if, to, to psychologically profile this guy. Right. Yeah. Um, which comes into play later because they then used him. I believe it was the FBI. Who yeah. Used to help him? him build like profiles for other killers. That, yeah. that was crazy, too. Right. Like so. um the director of the documentary actually ended up making a film, uh, like an actual like theatrical film, that is uh, coming out soon. Uh, extremely wicked, so- shockingly evil, and and sorry, extremely wicked, shockingly evil and vile, which is a direct quote from the, the one judge in the sentencing portion yeah. of the case. Uh, Zach Efron's playing Ted Bundy. The trailer is a trip. Like to seeing after watching the documentary and to seeing, it's. He, I'm not saying he does like a, like a pitch perfect, you know, Ted Bundy, but Zach Efron has charm. 
Mm -hmm. so that comes through. And then, you know, just knowing that what the character is supposed to be capable of and just seeing Zac Efron, you know, it's, it's going to be an interesting film. Uh, so Netflix actually uh, is getting the rights to it. They're, this, this is something about like possibly spending 9 million on uh, the rights. So I don't know if this is going to release theatrically, but it's almost one of those things where it's like, they knew they had a big hit in terms of like viewership for the, the documentary, it would just make sense for them to spend 9 million, which is a drop in the bucket of what they usually spend on like programming to get this movie and then yeah. have it out there. Like, it seems like in that sense, it's kind of a win-win, you know, but it's, it's surprising. Like all of a sudden, you know, like all oh, the documentaries out, by the way, now you guys get to watch the movie Zach Efron. It's like, it's a, it's interesting timing and I just shouldn't surprise me anymore, but I don't know. It just seems uh, that the release of the documentary along with this movie about to come out, obviously the people behind both knew what they were doing, but the, the timing of it is just, it's almost like it, it had this been shown like two years from now, there may not be the same buzz around it. Well, I mean, the documentary and the film are directed by the same person. It's Joe Berlinger. Yeah. Do you know anything about him? Okay. No. Um, so Oscar nominated Joe Berlinger. I don't know what he was yeah. nominated for. Uh, so he did a series of three documentaries. Probably took over 15 years. Um, and if I go off on tangents here, I'm going to apologize. Um, there was a group of kids back in the 90s who Wait, were... Is this the Hoop Dreams guy? I don't know if he did Hoop Dreams, but uh, the West West Memphis Three were kids who were basically, they were convicted on a a ton of circumstantial evidence. Um, And long story short, the kids were basically profiled because they were into heavy metal and uh, satanic images, um, basically... um, wrongfully incarcerated um he did he and his partner his partner's now passed away they did three documentaries called paradise lost um chronicling the kid's journey um as they try to get out of uh jail and i don't mean like escape attempts i mean like by appeal um and bringing basically all this to the public's attention but what's interesting about it what got my interest in it at first was that the uh, kids were all into the band Metallica. I think I've mentioned before that I'm a big Metallica fan. Especially the, the album Lulu. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they uh, Metallica gave free license for them to use any music that they wanted to. And this is the first time that they'd ever let anybody use their music in a film. Um, all three documentaries are exclusively use Metallica's music. Okay. Um, because that's what the kids were into at this time. And... and uh, um, it, it's a fascinating story if you get a chance to watch the documentaries. Coming back around to it, um, the Ted Bundy thing. Well, you sorry, you mentioned I was looking up his stuff while you were talking about this. He did some kind of monster. Yes. So he did. Yeah. Sorry, you so, did, you mentioned that, and then they must have liked that. So. Well, no, he they did Paradise Lost before. Um, oh, you're right. Yep. You know, I can't, I can't read. Like, much like a mech pilot. Some kind of monster was supposed to be just them <laughs> documenting making an album, and it turned then, into something the, else. Almost them breaking up as a yeah. band. Yeah. Okay. So, um, what's interesting about the 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 confessions, the actual uh, Netflix four part miniseries? When I saw that it was him and that it was coming out, I was like, "Oh, I'm like he directed a movie about Ted Bundy." I knew it was coming out mm-hmm. because the lead cop in the movie is played by James Hetfield. Of oh, Metallica. okay. So I was like, "Oh, that's interesting." Hmm. So I don't know exactly if he it. If he put this documentary together as research for the film, or if there's just some sort of weird 
like I have all this research. Maybe I'll just do something with it. So I don't know that, how yeah. he got involved with both projects. Um, like I think I've talked about this before on the show. Uh, there's there's a, a book by Eric Larson called The Devil in the White City that talks about H.H. H. Holmes and the Chicago World's Fair at the time. And it's like speculative nonfiction. So like every other chapter of the book deals with Holmes and what happened uh, being like uh, America's first serial killer. And then also the amazing work of whatever it was to get the World's Fair in place. It's monumental and ridiculous. And you can't believe the amount of like what was happening to make this happen, especially back then. Um, but Eric Larson, there's bits he would even say, like he has all this documentation in his book, but he'd say there's gaps here and here, but based upon what I know, I believe this to be true. So it was mm-hmm. like, he would be filling in the gaps. And I feel like after going through all these tapes of, of Bundy and talking about what could have been, and then his, um, like his day of execution confessions, th- there's probably a lot of, to explore in terms of like, we know this, but how do you tell that story cinematically? And there's things that we know happened, but we never saw mm-hmm. like, like the bodies in like the, the, the snowy Hills, like they found these bodies later, but you like, there's this whole thing of like, I don't know if he talked about what he actually did. So I'm sure this movie is maybe his way of trying to work through some of that, that information that was not present, but we know what happened. Yeah. And I, I think it's interesting too, because I saw quite a bit of negative reaction to the trailer, which I, I was surprised by. Um, particularly after watching the Confessions, um, the four-part miniseries, simply because of the fact that uh, there's a whole bit in the documentary about how women were showing up to his court case and saying, yeah, like, that's... he's so handsome and attractive, there's no way he could have done it, and I'd go out on a date with him. Yeah, it's weird and, stuff like that, crazy. Yeah, yeah and mm-hmm. like people were saying, like, oh, Zach Efron's too much of a, you know... Uh, pretty boy or whatever and it's like no he's he's actually exactly who that guy was he was charismatic he was attractive um, it doesn't look that dissimilar from him like no. i mean it's pretty close I mean, especially the way again watch the documentary there's a lot of things that bundy was so ahead of the curve on in terms of his own knowledge of what people would look for yeah i'm not saying he was the smartest but he was smart you know right. like I uh, also want to point out that uh, this director also did uh, Blair Witch 2 Book of Shadows. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have not seen it, so why should I judge it? Yeah, and actually they 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 kind of address that, and I think it's some of the special features of... Uh, it might be on the commentary for some kind of monster, where it's just like they were coming off of that, and it was like, oh, like this awful experience, and then they walk in, and they're supposed to document a, the making of an uh, album, and it turns into a two-year documentary of a band almost falling apart. It's like, oh, it should be, it's Metallica. <laughs> they're a well machine, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. um, but, uh, you know, the last thing I'll say, too, is, is that I, you'd mentioned that, you know, people are kind of chomping at the bit for whatever the next serial killer or, like, horrific documentary there is. Yeah. Um, that is one aspect um, that of just horror community that I've never quite understood like i'm all for like jason and freddie and michael myers because they're fake they're and the science slasher and the science slasher but like because i said to my wife i'm like i just can't conceive how a person would do this she's like that's what you write i'm like i write fiction like nobody's gonna use what i'm doing as a manual like (laughs) you've you and i've talked about this i'm not gonna like you've just because i've asked you questions about your creative process and the story you want to tell like everybody that does these like that comes up with like you know the villain or the monster 
generally they have like, you know, this not a simple reason, but they've thought out why this happens, right? Humans are much more messy. So like, you can't just be like, well, this one thing caused this person to do this for the rest of their life. Right. But, but the slasher, it's like, oh, Jason, he was you know swimming and campers were making out and he drowned. And so the mom was mad. It's like, but then somehow he's alive. And now that his mom's dead, he's just pissed off at everybody. It's like, you just, you know, like that you get enough and you're like, and then that the movie isn't, it's, it's not true in the sense of like, if anybody, if anybody was being slaughtered at a camp, like repeatedly, that'd be horrific. And right. There'd be so many questions and I'm sure some people would lose their jobs. Right. I don't know, maybe, <laughs> um, you know, but it, you're right. There's something different there. The point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I can't like, I see people sharing, you know, memes with like Jeffrey Dahmer or Ted Bundy or, um, uh, Manson and I'm always like uncomfortable with that side of horror fandom and I, this really isn't the place to address it but I just I don't know I've never quite understood like I get the, the being sucked in by a documentary totally get that because the the um, weekend that I watched the Ted Bundy tapes I think it was the first weekend it was out I was like oh, I'm gonna watch an episode and then I was like oh four hours are gone yeah that's what you happens know. to me usually is like I just I just fall down the hole and the, just keep going making yeah. murder the first season <laughs> I watched that all on a Saturday because yeah. I got into it and I was like I can't stop now this is too fascinating so like I understand that part of it but I don't understand the the essence of like hey I'm gonna wear him on a t-shirt like no you like you yeah. don't you don't celebrate because it's like yeah. oh even though like he's been gone it's like you know that if he knew how much people would be talking about him, that would be like the, the greatest, the greatest thing, thing yeah. you know? So it's like, you don't want to celebrate that you don't want, but yeah. And so I, I get it in the sense that like, it's a water cooler talk. It's like, did you see this, all this? Like I have friends that are asking for recommendations for like documentaries and like, Obviously, like making a murderer, the keepers is one that I don't know if you'd seen that one or not. Like it is, my wife watched it. It's, and it's horrific because just the ripple effect on that, and and the, again the whole thing of like people know but no one's talking is like it's frustrating. Yeah, you know? like um, and it's just you know, devastating. Um, so I'll, I'll watch it, and I and I you know there's a reason why, and I'm not saying I won't watch other documentaries. Like, you know, the, well, I someone, will say someone died in it. I, I, yeah, someone not died in it. No, I'm not interested whatsoever. If you are no. looking for lighter fare, the Fire Festival documentary I need to watch Hulu, those. Hulu yeah. is is pretty darn good. So. Um, and I'll give a recommendation for some older documentaries: King of Kong, uh, Fistful King, of Quarters. Oh, that's amazing. Um, if you guys watch that and haven't seen it, read up on what happened later because yeah. there's interesting some stories justice. after. But the documentary is really great. Uh, Spellbound is probably about ten years plus now. It's following these kids that three or four different families that go to the national spelling bee in, in DC. It's just entertaining. And also just like crazy, the amount of prep and some of the pressure, some of the kids feel. And then some of the, some of the parents that are like, I don't know why they're good at this, but they want to do it. Like there's this whole slice of life about the spelling bee and it's really, really good. Um, so yeah, I'm capable of watching things that don't involve murder, you know, right. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I just, uh, with this case, will I watch this film? Absolutely. But now that I'm, now that I'm in, because I've seen this, you know, like it's also like that, that movie that came out, was it last year? My friend Dahmer. That, yeah, yeah. Which oddly enough was, uh, the book that that's based on is written by Durf. Uh, who's from Cleveland. Who's yeah. from Cleveland. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, I've not read the graphic novel. I think we own it. I know my wife owns it, I believe. Uh, so, yeah, it's another movie. It's like you don't want to celebrate, but there's also something that if people for them, you're right, to cross the line and do something like that, It is there is a fascination with that because I know I would never be capable of or ever want to do, yeah. you know, but knowing that it has happened. Uh, so, yeah, like I, I get it, but at the same time, I also wonder if people – 
let some of that stuff sink in of like, this is this, this affected somebody's life. This is what actually happened. You know, right. like, you know, these people on here talk like the one girl in the documentary that like she got away just because a car was nearby and she just jumped in the car and said, take me to the hospital. You know, she was just trusting a stranger to not be just as terrible as the person accosting her. And it's yeah. like, and that was in like the seventies. Like, do you, do you feel like the same thing would happen now? Like there's a lot of, it's messed up. Well, I told yeah. you that like my Uber driver, you know, took a wrong turn the other night and I was like, oh my God, this guy's going to murder me. <laughs> like I was absolutely convinced. I'm like, he's not taking me the right way. <laughs> he's just And a- I'm like literally cocking in my head. All right. If I have to jump out of the car, can I do it? He's just putting in like high school musical like soundtracks. <laughs> like, he's like, hey, you guys like, you like that Zac Efron? I'm like, no. Well, like- <laughs> I- I'm sure that, you know, being tipsy probably helped my uh, inability to make good decisions. But, uh, you know, I did stay in the car, but uh, he was listening to Miles davis and he was probably in his 60s and i figured there's probably less of a good chance that he's going to be a murderer <laughs> i mean but if you get killed though they like that's a way to go out that's, yeah. a, that's a good soundtrack you know that's like a very classy way to go yeah, out that's a, listening yeah. to miles J- davis it's just a well-polished crowbar you're <laughs> like hey you've, that's some upkeep there you know like uh, yeah so anyway enough, enough about that here i'm like we shouldn't glorify murder but we're just talking about you getting beaten <laughs> For entertainment purposes only. All right. So next story um, real quick. Uh, so finally, um, this has been something that's been talked about for a while. The The comic series, Why the Last Man, uh, is now actually being ordered a series at FX. Um, it's uh, it's a series written by uh, Brian K. Vaughn and uh, illustrated by Pia Guerrera. Guerrera. Um, it is the story of York Brown. Uh, he is a kind of a screw-up. He's also a magician, like an escape artist. He has a pet monkey named Ampersand. That likes throwing poop. Um, it's a, a, a capuchin monkey or something like, right? I, I don't know. It's a, I mean, it's, isn't that a detail of all monkeys, it, though? Like, he's the Ross Geller of this world, you know, with the monkey. I mean, with the exception of the band, the monkeys. The, Although they, Mickey they Dolans even... was known for throwing some poop around. You know? <laughs> uh, no, so what happened? something happens where suddenly all, all the men of every species suddenly just dies. Like, it's not just you know, humans, but like males of other things just die suddenly like this horrific event. But York is like the one that lives. And, uh, the story that becomes, he was on a phone call to his girlfriend who was in Australia at the time. And he was in New York and they're like, their phone call cuts off midway as this is happening. And he makes it his goal to try to get to Australia to, to find his girlfriend. And his whole thing is this whole adventure of him trying to, you know, like hide his identity, his, his gender because men are gone, you know? And, what does that mean to a world now that there's no men? And it's, it's a really cool series. It's, I mean, it's, it's funnier than it has any right being. It's like pointed. Uh, cause like they use the different like States almost as like different looks of what would happen. Like in New York, it was kind of gruesome, almost like walking dead with like dead bodies everywhere. Like San Francisco, they, they got that shit cleaned up real quick and it's like, you wouldn't even know. And it's like, they're, they kind of moved on. Like, you know, <laughs> uh, and there's parts of the Midwest where women are now like wandering, like on horseback, like Amazon tribes, like type of thing you know it's like and here's york just just an idiot you know like he's well-meaning but he's an idiot at times you know like uh so it's, it's entertaining it's a really fun read um great series that's interesting because I, I honestly, it's one of those series that I have not read, and it's one that's been recommended to me numerous well, times. If you'd like, I have the entire series to, uh, directly to your right. I have all of the books, so if you'd like Ooh. to read them, yeah, um, uh, yeah, and uh, and also Brian K. Vaughn's from Cleveland, so another Cleveland connection there. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a, it's a real great series, and this feels like there have been talk for a while of this becoming a movie with Shia LaBeouf. You know, glad that didn't happen. Nothing against him. I just. Then the, the start talking about becoming a TV series, and I feel like this kind of long form storytelling and letting this kind of his journey exist makes more sense for a series. So, mm-hmm. 
uh, I'm excited. Like FX has been like making some interesting moves with their series. Um, some of the Marvel stuff, they just announced Legion's ending with season three. You know, you wonder if that's because of the merger, if maybe like the direction of that series isn't what Disney had has in mind for yeah. the X series. But FX has been putting out some interesting like superhero fair and comic book fair. So I don't even you know. know if it's so much um, the fact that uh, it may be a Disney's hand, but I, I do wonder if it's like companies are going, well, they're going to be starting their own streaming service. They're going to be competition soon. I'm not going to bother putting out, you know, more of what could technically be their IP. Yeah, that's fair. Um, you know, I, I kind of feel like that might have been the Netflix thing, um, but I could be wrong. Yeah. So, so um, I don't know much about the people involved other than uh, Vaughn's going to executive produce, which I'm glad that he has a hand in it. However, he also is kind of overseeing uh, Under the Dome on CBS, and that was just a shit show. Like, that was not good, and I don't know if it was his. Maybe he was, I don't know what capacity he had to steer the story, but you take a novel that was a very contained, no pun intended, idea and try to stretch it out for multiple seasons, that probably wasn't the right call. Is that the one where, you know, your boss shows up and he's undercover? Yeah, and- he's, he's <laughs> under under the dome. Like, you know, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, undercover, bo- under the dome, yeah. Uh, so, um, and also... like I've never watched Under the Dome. I uh, had no... No, uh, so you know the joke in the Simpsons movie where they put a dome on the city. Yeah. That that's pretty much like it's not a physical. It's like this thing just shows up one day, and then these people are trapped uh, in this small town. It's it's an interesting book. It, much like a lot of Stephen King stuff, amazing first half, and then it gets weird in the second half. I still liked it, but it gets weird. Um, and the series was just wasn't good. Uh, but and then Brian K. Vaughn also was brought in to be like a story manager for Lost towards the second half of the series, and he oversaw some really cool things that happened there. So. There's there's potential for this being. I heard awesome. that's uh, um, the one show that had a finale that everyone loved. Yeah, right. That's mm-hmm. exactly that's you're 100 correct. When I have nothing of value to add, <laughs> I just say something shitty. So I I'm just a fan of Brian K. Vaughn's work. Like uh, he did that one the one graphic novel, The Pride of Baghdad, involving the lions uh, in Iran. It's really cool. It's like you just have to read it. It's like, you know, if line, if, if animals could talk to each other, but then dealing with, with them not knowing about what was going on with like the Gulf War, mm-hmm. you know, like or was it Iraq? Anyway, I'm getting my geography wrong. I can't read and I don't know geography. Uh, his series Ex Machina was amazing with the world's first superpowered mayor. I love that book so much. And that's uh, by artist Tony Harris who yeah. did Starman. And uh, that's it, another one that's been recommended to me like numerous times. I also times have all of I... that too as well. And I and I have in Saga is ongoing, his current series, and I have a lot of those. I've not read a bunch of them because his work's so good. I just want to like absorb it like all at once. And I keep meaning to do it. I just don't. But I love his work. I love Brian I have K. to revisit writing. Saga because everyone loves Saga. And I bought the first trade and it just, for whatever reason, didn't it gets better. With me. Like, I mean, I liked it, but it gets better. I like. Uh, uh, but I was just like, wow. Oh man, like I hate that when like everyone tells mm-hmm. you something's amazing and then you read it and you're like, why isn't this connecting with me? Like, why is this not the thing that I'm in love with? Yeah, like so, everyone else. So I'm gonna say, why not The Last Man? You should check it out. It's a good series. Uh, so I'm excited. And if this brings more people to reading his actual work, and or again, this might be one of those things where I they might go off from like like do like a Walking Dead thing where like they're gonna hit some of the beats but still tell their own story. Mm-hmm. I would be excited for that. Because I don't need the same story, but give me good characters and good progression. Um, and if you give me a different explanation for why all the men died, I'd be kind of okay with that. Because it was kind of, kind of like, like oh, well, no, no, they tell you what happens. Oh. And there's literally a point in the book where they're like, yeah, 
not like basically they admit to like, yeah, not as a, uh, that wasn't as exciting as you thought it was. Was it like, <laughs> like they directly comment on a, uh, like, yeah, it was kind of underwhelming. <laughs> like, so whatever. Anyway, excited for that. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about it more when it comes and, and then I forget to watch it and then I'll bemoan it. But read why the last man right so last story here uh just today today is is this recording which is uh february 4th it would it would have been george romero's birthday it still is his birthday but you know he just passed away what two years now yeah yeah um he would have been what uh he's born in 1940 Uh, this is where i try to do math fast what 79 um yeah that sounds about right i I was gonna be like he was 99 years old and it's like that's not right like no Um, so (laughs) yeah um his glasses would have been 75 (laughs) (laughs) uh you know i i I, we've talked about romero a fair bit uh on here and i i i know we even talked about when i went to uh, monroeville for uh living dead weekend last year um the more and more I dig into Romero, the the more and more I like him, not only as just a director and a writer, but as a person. He seemed like a genuinely good dude, um, and that's becoming harder and harder to find a lot of times when you're looking at uh, Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, I also liked the idea of him, like, you know, for the most part trying to do it as close to home or as far out from being in Hollywood as possible. Um, and I think that was one of the things that appealed to me about, like, say, Kevin Smith. He was like, oh, he does all this stuff in New Jersey. George Romero did it in Pittsburgh. You know, I, I like that type of, you know, I don't have to be in Hollywood to do this. You know? Yeah. And granted, Kevin Smith lived in Hollywood now for like 20 years, but... And, uh, and did do a film in Pittsburgh yeah. that we won't talk about. <laughs> <laughs> we, um, we, we may talk some Kevin Smith next week, not to, not to front sell it, but yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, sad to see that, that he's gone, and it's, it's that thing that I always go back to of you know within like three or four years we lost Wes Craven George Romero and Toby Hooper Mm -hmm. like all in a row and like it just it it sucks it's it's something that's still like for for folks like us who grew up with those those movies uh it's still like with a a heavy heart you're like god that just I mean we've talked about this before where people like it's just with with the way our access is to media and the things that are created, their footprint and and is in shadow is much is much longer in terms of like being in like the the headspace of people right yeah. and fandoms and things. So, um, you know, when we like last week when we watched the Apple, that's nineteen eighty. Like as much as that that's. 40 years ago it's like and but yeah. we it's even, that's not the right example but it's like you could watch a nice cleaned up version of that right now and it can you know as much as we know the film itself is dated the the the, the look of it and being presented hasn't you know it, you could still get involved with it right yeah so i feel like their legacy or at least their influence is going to have like it's going to be longer and i think that we're still experiencing the end of the 20th century at least pop culture wise yeah still and the people just can't seem to to get over that. Like, I mean, it's I mean, not not you. I'm just saying, like, it, things are going to change. The, the things that we love, people, those people will go away. Like the the day Spielberg either retires or or passes away is going to be significant, right? Like, it's going to you're you're never going to have him again. Yeah, you know, and it, but you know, his legacy is going to be you know I don't know how however many years forward. You know, right. like it's just it it's important. Like you know Romero, you know. Two years gone. Um, the second part of his career maybe you know was not nearly as strong as his first part, but the fact that he was still trying to tell stories and do his own thing, it was always good to know that there was possibly another Romero project on the horizon. Right. You know. So, yeah. 
Yeah, and I mean, that's what I, I just mean, like, as far as, like, being just... Uh, stories like this are just reminders of, like, ah, I can't believe it's been two years since they've been gone, or, yeah. you know, it's like... Uh, and we're going to talk just a little bit about this once we get into our, our main story, but, um, you know, the, the passing of Stan Lee, it's like, yes, it was sad, but it was also, like, he got 93 years. Like, it was, uh, you know, it wasn't like he was... And I hate to put it in like a in a, in a in a in a light of like oh it's not like he was a sixteen year old who was you know taken you know no but I mean like, uh, but like you know there is sort of that good thing of like well you know they did a lot of amazing work while they were here and people and got he, to let them know that they yeah. were appreciated you know like it was it was weird watching the Electric Boogaloo documentary and seeing Toby Hooper in there and yeah. it's like and that wasn't even that long ago and it's like you're like ah you know like it's just it yeah so. Not not to bring up this because it's a sad thing because it is sad that he's gone, but it's just important you know remember the things that you love and who make them and appreciate it. I feel like that's always been something we try to do on the show. And yeah. it's it's always good to remember because you know. And if anybody needs to come back or deserves to come back, it's George Romero. He's the godfather of right? uh, of the zombies. So. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be the like if if there's any zombies coming back, he's first. He's yes. the first one. That's there you it. Go. Yeah. Right. So all right. Uh, yeah, that's going to do it for for news. Um, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Nothing else. Let's just move on to... Uh, now, now that we've talked about death and appreciation, we should move on to a discussion about death and appreciation. And now for our feature presentation. So, yeah, I did not mean for that to happen, but let's... No. Yeah, let's um, so, yeah, I'm going to uh, start off this discussion here and just kind of give you a little bit of context as to why we're talking about this today. Um, there are actually like three or four different reasons, and um, hopefully I don't uh, I don't lose focus too much going into them. But uh, the first is, is that uh, <laughs> I have an in- intention to start a blog for our um, website for the Invasion of the Podcast. Um called Why I Love Comics. And the simple idea behind it was just that I wanted to write about what it is I love about comics um, and what comics can do that I don't get from other mediums. Um, It was just a simple idea and a way for me to show off the things that I love and kind of talk about them in a way that, you know, maybe they haven't been talked about before. Um, instead of me like trying to review something, me just telling you, why do I love this? And Mm -hmm. why do I love the medium as a whole? Um, and with that in mind, the first thing I was going to write about was the first comic I ever purchased, which was Batman 428, which is the third part of the Death in the Family story. Now, for those of you at home who are like, I don't know what the Death in the Family story is, uh, it is the story in which the second Robin, Jason Todd, is killed at the hands of the Joker. Um, with that in mind, I... The reason I picked it up was is that an offhand remark by my brother saying, "Hey, did you hear they're killing Robin off in the comics?" And I'm like, "No, I, I didn't know that. I didn't, I didn't know you could do that. Like, I was just kind of <laughs> like blown away by that because at that point he was too. <laughs> Robin, not your brother. Yeah. <laughs> at that point, I hadn't started reading comic books yet. I had one other comic that I had owned previously, which was a Star Wars comic." But it wasn't it wasn't the thing that kickstarted my love of comic books. To me, at that point, Batman and Robin were the super friends. Like I didn't have any other context mm-hmm. for them beyond that. So, in a bit of uh, you might say fate or um, 
irony or, or however you want to put it. Um, like literally within that same week, my mom and I, we would always go grocery shopping and I always, always come along and like throw stuff in the cart that I wasn't supposed to. Like I still do this to my wife when we're shopping. <laughs> like she'll get to the cash register and she'll be like, why, where did these Oreos come from? And I'm like, like I, don't I don't know. know. I don't know. Um, but, why, why uh, is there six quarts of Ecto cooler. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. My mom had this knack of just basically knowing everybody in town. So mm-hmm. like she was a nurse, so she kind of seemed to know everybody. So when we went grocery shopping, I knew that I had probably a good solid hour to just roam around Kroger's. She'd be talking to everybody. She'd be talking to everybody. Um, and oddly enough, on the magazine rack is this cover of Batman with Robin covered in blood, drawn by Mike Mignola, um, and just uh, the, a death in the family written on it. And I'm like, what is this? So I pick it up, and I'm like, this is what my brother was telling me about. Did you have a hard time parsing out the shapes on the cover first? I'm sure. Trying- <laughs> no, I did not. Why I oughta? Um, that square is bleeding other tinier squares. Why is that happening? Um, no, so uh, that was that was the the thing, the impetus of me starting to read comics. So I wanted to to discuss that, and with it being uh, the 80th anniversary of Batman this year, I there are certain things that I want to talk about this year to celebrate the character. Um, and lastly, oh, the cops are coming for me. No, they're coming for me for my Magnolia comments. Like, we're done, we're done here. <laughs> the art police is coming. It's James Hetfield just showing up as a cop. <laughs> Um, but uh, I'd mentioned Stan Lee previously, and admittedly, this is a DC product, and um, so there's no connection in that sense. But um, for those of you, I'm sure, are probably aware, with Stan Lee's passing, um, the comedian Bill Maher had gone on to make a point that people shouldn't refer to comics as literature. And uh, he he's somebody that, like, regardless of your... Um, political followings, he can sometimes come off as a condescending jerk. Um, I, most of the time, find him funny, um, but I also, also a lot of times, think he's a condescending jerk. No, that, that's fair. That's like he. There's times where it's like, oh, like he he knows what he's talking about, but when he has that opinion, it's like, fine. Yeah. But you know, like whatever reason, people bid on it, and it's like, just let him say, fine. You know, like, his impact is never going to be as big as Stan Lee's, so <laughs> yeah. just whatever, you know. Um, and it's interesting, because he he did a whole thing on his show uh, the week prior, uh, answering the critics of his statement that, you know, comics aren't literature. And within that, I, I thought it was ironic. He was saying, you know, oh, we should grow up as a culture, and, you know, man babies or, you know, fanboys... Uh, who are unwilling to grow up, da 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 da, and uh, for a guy who is so like hard pressed to uh, get the legalization of marijuana in place, which again I'm not bringing that up as like a, a point of contention. I'm just saying that like that's one of his big issues. It's interesting to me that like something that's something that's recreational, recreational. to him that he enjoys shouldn't be illegal, and people shouldn't judge it. Right. Yeah. And it, it's it's this an is also the man that was an Amazon woman on the moon. So <laughs> take you know whatever you know like. So uh, with that, I had intended to write my first column and just talk about the fact that like it's okay to like things because they're fun. Even if, you know, because it's not, it's not safe to say that, or it's safe to say, I should say that, 
you know, not every comic book that comes out is going to be Watchmen. It's just not, you know. No. But it's like that's true and of every genre. Watchmen wouldn't have existed if it wasn't for like the fun daring do of the the, the Golden Age and Silver Age of comics. That's the, it's a commentary, right? But there was success and. As, as much as um, Alan Moore would say, you know, he doesn't like that stuff. He must have read a lot of it growing up, you know. Yeah. So and he engaged with it, and he came up with his own take, you know. So I, I see your point. Um, same thing with like Roger Ebert would argue at one point he said video games aren't art, and then people brought a lot of different things to him, and he didn't walk the statement back completely, but he did admit that his his viewpoint was you know, wasn't as as broad as it should be, mm-hmm. you know. So. You know, it, it's the whole thing of just because just because you may not understand why people engage with it the way they do and take value out of it doesn't mean that it's less than. Right. You know, so, um, yeah, like uh, with with Batman, you talk about like, you know, there was a long time there where he it was just him and Robin and they'd you know, fight the penguin and it'd be, you know, a lot of alliteration and bat products and whatever. Like, and it was fun. You know, and and if that's how people are engaged, and that's how you knew him as super friends, and then to be like, oh, by the way, uh, his partner's getting killed, like that, it's that's a thing, you know, in terms of like, you know, it's okay for these mediums to take chances, and this was a big chance, this was a big risk for DC to take. A very, I would argue a very calculated one, and they even kind of even admit to that, like mm-hmm. of what of what they were thinking of doing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I know this isn't the same conversation with the, with the Bill Maher thing, but it's like, I I know I know it's it's easy for me to dismiss something that somebody else loves because I don't like it. And I know I kind of you know like the Space Jam lovers of the world or whatever. But then like watch the Super Bowl last night, CBS kept pushing, letting everybody know there's only ten episodes of the Big Bang Theory left, and I'm like. Thank Christ that there's only ten, <laughs> you know that there's only ten episodes left. But there's people that really love that. They were warning people, but the, for you, they was, were yeah. There was know, like just hey, you guys hang in not, there, Paul. There's only ten episodes yeah, left. I'm still in the comedy bunker. I'm like just waiting for it to be like, oh, is it almost? Oh, we, we got the all clear, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, are we now Big Bang free? Like, you know. <laughs> um, but I. I, I, I'm a hypocrite in that sense of like I can't tell somebody they don't why they don't like something. Yes, I can, but you're I, not publicly taking to a forum to like a, I mean, if someone comes to me and says, "Do you watch the Big Bang Theory?" and I have to say no, they're like, "Well, why?" and then all of a sudden this word vomit comes out of me, right. like you know Linda Blair style, and they're like, "I'm sorry, I asked you," and I'm like, "I'm sorry, <laughs> I talked about it," you know, like, but I don't go actively around seeing a Bazinga shirt and be like, "You're wrong," like I don't right. do that, you know. <laughs> So, um, but going back a little bit to what I was saying about a death in the family, in the sense that I was going to write my first blog at in a very long time on uh, the invasion of the podcast uh, site. Your write ups about like the, the toys that you showed off was great, and then you um, you'd written another one too. Uh, um, one about Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, that uh, was the second one, the second the second blog post. Yeah, that, yeah like and then you're talking about a remake, and then they <laughs> immediately canceled the remake. No, no, but, but uh, you know the the. That I just want to table that and just say yes, I will hopefully be writing that soon because I, I even if it's not a monthly thing, I want to put out what it is that I love about comics. Oh, and, and your writing is much better than than mine. I just I just ham fist my way through talking about like movies, you know, like so. Please, I, I certainly would not. Uh... <laughs> I, I lean so heavy on gifts that I make that like you know it's because of my my illiteracy problems I've talked about earlier in the episode. Yeah, well, to be yeah. fair though, that people would say that about comics. <laughs> so yeah, Ooh, so got pictures in it. Yeah, um, but yeah, I wanted to go back to just. 
A, what it was about that first issue, me reading that first issue, what it was that grabbed me. Because, um, you know, the big story here, obviously, is the, the, the call-in. Um, so, yeah, we should set that up a little bit. So, but, well, yeah, let me go back yeah, for just a second. Yeah. Uh, with that, I had no knowledge of that when I read it. I just heard Robin's dying. Yeah. I had no idea of anything else around it. So um, now we can. Get yeah, sorry. Yeah. So whenever they, they talked about the, the series, when it was being you know announced, this event, um, and this was in 88, if I remember right, uh, they actually left it up to the readers. They, they, they published the, the, those the third issue, I think it was, with the cliffhanger. So the, the cliffhanger is in the second issue. Oh, sorry. The third yeah. issue is where he dies. Yeah. So, well, spoiler. Uh, no, so second, <laughs> so they, they, when the second issue was published, there was like a, a notice in there saying, hey, call this number if you want Robin to live. Call this number if you want Robin to die. And then they would tally. They, they, it was like a three or four day window yeah. that they had. Hey, and, kids, don't forget to ask your, your parents for permission. Because it was 50 cents a call. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they, but so, um, what happened was DC knew that they had the ability to do this in terms of like getting the printing out on time and also the technology at that point of being able, we can get kind of a, almost a, a live reaction to this. Mm -hmm. And they said that, um, that they were wanting to put out a choice for a while, but they wanted to make it significant. It wouldn't be like a matter like this is the example in here. I was reading, like there's a little postscript to this book that you let me borrow. It was like, what color should, um, Firestorm's boots be? They're like, we're not going to do that, you know, but giving a character that had already existed in the, you know, in terms of being written for five years previous to this. And they already kind of knew that some people were okay with Jason Todd and some people didn't like him at all. A lot of people didn't like him. Yeah. So they're like, here, you guys get to make a decision for a medium that you always, which comics, you know, the long form storytelling kind of based off of like movie serials and the pulp books where it's always like tuned, like what happens next month? It's like, there's this Mm -hmm. consistency, but you know, it's always in the hands of the creative team presenting it to you. This is the first time, at least in what I can think about, where a company is like, you, the reader, get to decide what happens, other than spending your dollar to, to support a book or not, of directly what happens to a character involved. And picking the character of Jason Todd, which you could speak more to than I can, being one that was already conflicted in terms of the fan base, that is a really interesting experiment. You yeah. know? Um, and and honestly, the, the the call totals it was only a difference of like a hundred or two call yeah, people. It was a very small margin, considering you know. Yeah. So that they you know they killed him off. So, um, yeah, I, I think that was if um, so. This is not the same thing, but for the longest time, uh, Madden football would do a thing where they'd like vote people onto the cover of Madden. This is like I forget a few years ago where they did this big bracket of like one one star from each team of the NFL, and they'd have people calling and vote. And it just became this thing where the people, like there was a running back for, or a half, he wasn't a running back. He was a back of some sort for the, the Cleveland Browns, Peyton Hillis. He was more, he, he was a running back, but not it, it, football talk. But he kept winning. Like Cleveland people kept calling him like, Peyton Hillis is going to get this. So it got down to like, <laughs> it got down like to the final tune. It was like Peyton Hillis and like this other, this like other NFL superstar. I, I forget who it was. And it was like, and Peyton Hillis won on a landslide. So man's like, well, I guess we're putting this Cleveland Browns player on the cover of Madden. <laughs> And they did. Peyton Hillis yeah. was the cover of Madden, and 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 then suddenly that was never an option again of the like the voting, yeah. <laughs> like because people are like, okay, <laughs> like yeah, and so um, so the power's there. Maybe you don't like you if you put the choice out there, you have to accept the results. So this is not the same thing, but yeah, um, yeah I, it was interesting. I, mean, I can say that the next thing that I can think of that they would do similar to this was uh, when DC and Marvel. Um, in 1996 would go on to have their first big crossover of all mm-hmm. their characters. Um, you could, uh, I, I don't remember if it was a mail-in or if it was like you, 
Yeah, I think it was a mail-in. Uh, you would vote for who would win in a fight, Wolverine or Lobo, Captain America or Batman, Superman or the Hulk, Wonder Woman or Storm, uh, and Spider-Man and uh, Superboy. Superboy, um, really? Spider-Man's really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. because, well, I, he was also going through the whole clone saga at that time, and oh. I think that they were... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like they're like if Superboy kills him, we can just get out of this, right, guys? We're good, right? Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, it would be another eight years before they would do something similar to that. I mean, for all the gimmicks that comics went through after this period, you know, foil covers, multiple printings, alternative color covers, um, like the like the five issues that were all like the X Men, yeah. uh, whatever was it, ninety six, the five issues that were all X Men one that made the one cover, right? That I had to have all of them. You know, uh, Superman's death would would follow three years later or. Four years later. Yeah, the bagged copy um, that the moment you open it loses all value. Right. So you had to get two of them. And now that bagged copy with, even if it was unopened, is worth like a dollar. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, you know, this at the time was a very, like, new thing, if you will. Um, they hadn't tried something like this before, but my experience going into this as a, as a new reader um, I had no context for why there was a second Robin. I didn't know that that Dick Grayson had gone on to become Nightwing, mm-hmm. had left you know Batman, and gone on to be, become his own hero and was running the Teen Titans. I didn't know that you know Jason Todd was not liked by fans because he talked back to Batman a lot of the times and a lot of times didn't obey his directions. And yeah, the actual start of the. Sp- story which by the way i think this thing buries the lead about what was really going on at the beginning of this like so they're about to go bust like this criminal ring it just isn't a criminal ring it's a sex trafficking ring it literally says kitty porn i'm like whoa 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 this is this is heavy and it's like like i guess we're just mentioning this and it was like i mean good on batman robin to clean it up but it's like that was like I didn't expect that like in a book like a Batman book from '88 to be like oh yeah we're just going to go fight child pornography it was like but they just mentioned it once and yeah then it moves on I mean what's interesting yeah. too is is that um, you know Batman puts Robin on the bench and says hey look you got some issues you got to deal with um, you're too too dangerous out there or you're you're going to get yourself hurt basically and I mm-hmm. will not have that on my hands um, but on the edge of that there's a, a point where Gordon tells Batman that the Joker's escaped. Um, And with that, I believe either Batman or another, uh, I can't remember if it's Gordon or Batman, who says, you know, after what he did to Barbara, you know, everybody's going to want a piece of him. It was um, one of the Joker's henchmen said, hey, you know, now that you're out, he's like, and what you did to the, you know, Gordon's daughter, you know, like basically Batman's coming for you. And yeah. like he, and the Joker makes some kind of offhand thing about like, Oh, like he's the, the, the henchman's like, she's a cripple now. He's like, yeah. I'll send her a cup full of pencils or whatever, basically saying she could beg out in the streets. And the way the character's drawn here is being so ridiculous looking with the big jutting chin mm. and just that. And some of the different like points of him in this book, it's like, that was such a, like a dark one off statement yeah. knowing that they're talking about the killing joke. Yeah. Which I didn't have, I didn't know that at the time, okay, so I, yeah. like that again opened up a question for me. Like I'm like, well, what happened to to Commissioner Gordon's daughter? What, yeah, what what are they referencing? And um, you know, we also talk about a lot of times with you know people picking up comics, like what is too much for them to absorb to the point where they're like, I don't want to. F- 
keep reading because they're referencing so much that well it's funny that you say that because i've been talking to you i've been reading um the jim valentino's uh guardians of the galaxy from the mid 90s mm-hmm. uh, early 90s and every time they say something there's a little asterisk and there's a little box in the right hand corner saying you can see this in this and it's like it's all kind of done like sarcastically as a little joke or like yeah. a little zing but it's like how many more asterisks do I need in this book to know that these guys had previous adventures? And you can't have like, so I'll say this about this book. Like I sat down and read it for the first time today. I thought I had read it before. I guess I had not. Um, there is still some like 80s comics trappings in this book, mm-hmm. but the way they handle like thought and dialogue feels a lot of it feels pretty modern. Like it feels up to date where there's the bit at the beginning, whenever they're clearing out the, the kitty porn ring and Batman's like, he's thinking, he's like, he's like, I'm just going to throw this one guy to Robin. Hopefully it can work some of this out. Like in his yeah. head is like, it's like, that's such a human thought as opposed to, and now the, you know, the boy wonder will take care of the, like, it's yeah. just, it was, there was, there wasn't a lot of that. The only thing was each issue kind of reset the story of the previous issue that, but that's the way comics were like you, but you got the third book and it gave you enough yeah. that you had context reading that third book by itself. And that's one of the things that I think is the most interesting is, is that like the third one, you know, that issue that I start with gives you just enough that you are reading it, that you get the entire story up to that point. Mm-hmm. They tell you, you know, that um, Batman has told Robin that he's going to bench him for a while. Meanwhile, and we haven't mentioned this yet. Robin finds out that there are three potential women who could be his mother. Um, and since he's on the 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 bench, basically, as Robin, he's decided, I'm going to go and find uh, these women and find out which one's my my actual mother. Yeah. Um, and that's recapped pretty wonderfully in, in the issues. Um, and credit to, Jim, well, writer Jim Starlin, who also wrote Infinity War, um, he's, uh, one of the bigger writers mm. of that time period. Um, and then I, I want to make a little bit of a note here about Jim Aparo, who is the penciler of the book, um, and Mike DiCarlo, who were the, in- who was the inker. Um, when somebody asks me to visualize Batman in my head, this is the first thing that I go to is his version of Batman. Yeah. And um, it's a, it's a, like the, the suit, the way the profile, it's, it's mm, a good look. Like yeah. it's, yeah, it, it's, he, it's amazing how much he drew Batman because before he took on Batman, which he did for, I think, 100 issues, maybe close to it, um, he did Brave and the Bold before that for a very long time, which was a Batman co-starring book. So it would be like Batman one week with, you know, Green Arrow, and then mm-hmm. the next issue would be Batman and someone else. Um, he... he particularly looking in line of and even as somebody who's trying to produce comics on his own myself he was a workhorse Mm -hmm. like he put out a tremendous amount of work um you know a lot of times you're lucky to get six issues in a year from us from specific creators you know well and also i feel like some of the like some of the needs of these books weren't like you those artists had their own styles and you're going to correct me on this. I'm sure. And uh, in the sense that like they all had their own style and they wanted to tell a story they wanted to tell. Some of these feel like there was like, there was a format that it's like, this is what comics kind of look. So there wasn't, you could still be creative in how you did things, but like the, um, 
the requesting on the artist to to present Batman, it didn't have to be super stylized Batman where like each page is like you could sell it on its own. Like this is there you say workmanlike. There like it's a good book. I, though I feel like his uh Jason Todd and Bruce Wayne look exactly the same, just one's taller than the other. Like, like I, I will say that like that is because he would go on to do Green Arrow after he leaves Batman and his his Green Arrow did have the tendency to look like Batman with blonde hair. So um, whatever, but I mean it's it's fine. Like it, it works well. It's clean, uh, and it's not you know it's it's stylized enough. It yeah. doesn't have to be, you know. Well, I also wanted to mention that I think that his inker on this, Mike DiCarlo, is by far the best his work ever looked inked. Um, hmm. Yeah, he. So Apero, a lot of times, did ink himself, but also uh, towards the end of his career, he was doing what are basically considered breakdowns, um, and they had a lot of different inkers working over him. And a breakdown, essentially what that is, is that he doesn't go full level detail on a lot of it. He basically fills in forms, um, perspective, and then he lets them light it how they want most of the time. Hmm. He lets them decide where the details are. So with a lot of his later work, you can see like who really stood out as an inker for, for Jim Aparo versus who didn't. Um, and I think that like he just he drew one of the more iconic Batmans, in my opinion. And you know, that's actually something that I was going to write about will write about at some point is is that Batman's one of the few characters that I think can be drawn by very many different artists and have his own iconic look no matter what the period is. Mm -hmm. And that can be Batman. Um, Whether it's Jim Aparo, whether it's Jim Lee, whether it's Kelly Jones, um, all these artists do different versions of the character, um, but they're all still the same character. Whereas I feel like with somebody like Spider-Man, he gets locked into a look for a very long time and you don't see a lot of, not change, but I mean like until McFarlane showed up, like everybody was still drawing Spider-Man very much in the same way. Like the Steve Ditko, yeah. like, you know, type of thing. Um, yeah. You know, with the exception of like Mike Zek, I think did, um, but that was the black costume at the time. So yeah. there's a little leeway there as well. But so I, what did you think of, of um, his take on the Joker? I did not like the look of this Joker. I, like, I'm sorry if that takes you aback. I'm sorry. I just feel like, <laughs> like I really, you were just like, what? It's like, I'm taking the he, headphones off and walking away. Everybody, else, I mean, I, I get that, like, you know, he's supposed to be more outrageous, but it's like, there's something about it. It's like, it, it was cartoony mm-hmm. with the way he was presented versus everybody else. And it's like, I, so some of it, I couldn't take him seriously. So whenever you get the turn of what he was doing, like when he, he offhandedly mentions that, you know, Barbara Gordon's a cripple and he's going to give her a, you know, a pencil or a cup full of pencils. Um, and then when he gets to the point of like where Robin, not, you know, not listening to Batman again, like goes in to try to save, you know, his, his, uh, his, well, he believes his mother, which actually was his mother, but she sold him out. Spoiler. Yeah. Um, and then the Joker and, and his henchmen just beat the life out of him. And it's like, he's like, I've been wanting to do this for a long time. I don't know if it was just because it's a Robin and he knew this was going to take, like it's going to hurt Batman or if there was something that about Jason Todd that they've had run-ins before where he's like, you know, that little shit, I'm, once I get my hands on him, I'm going to take him out. And I don't know if that, what, what, if that was just more personal or just the fact that this, that this was Batman's, you know, like sec, you know, his sidekick. And if yeah. I could, if I could make him bleed, I'm going to make Batman bleed. Right. Uh, and, and like, so that was like, this whole thing is this, this whole story, this narrative 
is, you know, it's a detective story in a good way too. Like they, they did some smart moves with Batman actually figuring things out with what was presented. It wasn't just like a magical realization. Yeah. Um, he leans heavily on his contacts with the government, this, yeah. <laughs> but um, there's a lot of like globe trotting in terms of being in the middle East. Uh, so there's this really like, like overt political story going on too. And also of the Batman being in the middle East and talking about how they don't know who he is, but they're terrified of the way I look and they're going to talk. There was some interesting you know things going on there. Um, so I wasn't expecting all of that, but then the Joker's kind of weaving it out of this being like an arms dealer, mm-hmm. um, which is something also I wasn't expecting. Uh, but whenever he's making his jokes, just he wants to get flush with cash because he wants to get back on the politi- like the geopolitical stage. But then the moment Robin shows up, it's like, yeah, I want to do all this, but now I want to kill you like that. At first, as much as the Joker, whenever he has his plans that always seem like funny to him, that always people die, no, no doubt, right? But it always seems like he's tottering along being like you know i'm the clown prince of crime you know as in like look at me aren't i you know like aren't i a stinker type of thing and then with this it's like he's doing all this and i know he's trying to sell a cruise missile and he has all this joker gas which he seems to be able to make from simple household products yes um whatever nobody Uh, thought to look at arkham and see if he could make his joker gas yeah yeah um it's just the, the the turn is sudden and savage, which I, mean, I get that from the Joker now. Yeah. I don't know if I would have gotten that from the Joker then, though I feel like the killing joke set that up. Yeah. But I don't know how Alan Moore wrote that version versus this version. Um. Well, I mean, this is 88, and I think that um, when was the Neil Adams run where he, he did the laughing fish and the Joker kind of turned back towards being less of the clown prince to more of being like the clown prince of crime Mm -hmm. um and one of the things that i i guess i should say like when i read a batman story involving the joker i don't like it when he just kills somebody for no reason and because it's an easy thing to say the joker's crazy so we can just make him do whatever we want for the the reasons of the story like i I never once got that he was crazy i just feel like he doesn't care right like they, they, he he will tell people like oh i'm insane and that way it gives him carte blanche i never once get the idea that he's insane here because human life means so little to him that he's like that's the joke you know right like, i never get that he's insane though batman the entire time is like i've let him go because he's been he's been crazy and it's like i'm sorry batman you're the world's greatest detective you should you should know that he's just not empathetic right or, sorry i didn't mean to no yeah, no yeah. I, but i mean that's the thing is that i always think that there should be something behind the joker's actions um because in this story you're right like he's whether it's personal or not the reason he attacks robin everything else that he's motivated by in the story is just sort of leading to a bigger and better thing mm-hmm. in the sense that you know he's he's he knows he's hot in Gotham, so he needs to get out, and he needs to make some money to to a working try and vacation, as he yeah. puts it. <laughs> um, and I, I like that because at least there's something behind it. It's not just that I've got a missile for no reason and I'm going to go sell it. Like, yeah, it, I mean, there is an element of that. Don't get me wrong, but at the same time, like he's at least got an objective. I think sometimes it gets too easy to write like he's the agent of chaos, so he needs to have no motivation. Where it's like. That's you're missing the point of the character. Um, So I I enjoyed that. And I'll admit, yes, the look of the character is very cartoony in contrast to the way Apero draws a lot of the other characters. Um, But for me, that's always just been his look. So I accepted it more. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's fair. It's just, it's like, I I mean, maybe, maybe it's on me that he was like, you know, hey, you guys don't even know what's coming. Like, in this, I mean, and obviously I knew what was going to happen, but. It just, but it's almost like, it just, it's, 
I maybe it's on me for not being a hundred percent left fan of how it turns, but it had to turn that way. But it was all hinged upon this entire time. It was always front sold of like Jason's just not listening to me. He's gonna get hurt. And then this last time when he's like when Batman's like he's like just stay here, please, just stay here. And he's like, sorry, Batman, that's my mom. It's like you knew, yeah. you knew, like you know. It's like all right, well, that's it. All right. And, uh, you know, what's interesting about that decision is is Batman knows immediately that he's not so much made the wrong decision because he goes on to save many lives by doing it, but he, he knows full well that, like, Jason didn't listen to him. Yeah. Like, he's, he's well aware that that is what has happened. Um, and he's, you know, basically praying, like, please let me be wrong, but he, he knows what he's going to find basically when he gets there. Yeah, and then um, and then like the, even the whole big thing, like the the fourth chapter, is kind of it's the realization of the Joker's plan, inadvertent, you know, yeah. like the, so he ends up becoming like the UN ambassador for uh, Iran. But uh, what's interesting yeah. about that that plan though is is that wasn't initially his plan. No. It falls in his lap, and he's like, "This is awesome." Yeah, he's like diplomatic immunity, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like um like some lethal weapon two stuff yeah. right? like diplomatic community uh, so um so does he have any cougar ends yeah yeah um so that was was interesting because you have like and there is there is showing some of this where Bruce Wayne knows that if he goes and attacks the Joker in this position it's going to cause a much bigger problem so he has to keep himself in check and even Superman shows up and says like you know you need to back off and then of course Batman punches Superman and like which and that's something else because that, that happens at the end of the issue that like I, I at that point Superman and Batman were best buddies so you show me a panel of Batman just decking Superman and I love Superman's uh, comment he's like you know had I not rolled with that punch you'd have crippled yourself yeah like he's like you'd have hit me with so much force that you literally just would have shattered everything in your body and, but like Batman being so just pissed at everything and that you're gonna hit like you know the worst thing to hit right you know but you're going to do it because you're batman you're the goddamn batman right <laughs> but, th- th- but there's a bit where he like he has like uh his his outfit on a, on a bed and he's like thinking about like you know like what he should do about like which who who should be there to respond is it bruce wayne or batman and then the next scene his his clothes are lying on the bed and you know he's taking the bat suit like yeah that was cool like i, I dug that um, you know, when you get to like the Joker's plan for the UN, which that whatever, like just sure, you're a bunch of important people there. Guess it's time to break out the gas. Yeah. Like that, you know, that seemed kind of like um kind of a flat ending versus like what happened previous to that. But you well, know I love the conversation that Batman has with the Joker before the night before. Mm-hmm. And he just shows up and he's like, I just want to make sure that I, you know. I'm right in what I'm going to do. Like, however yeah. this plays out, I want to make Joker, sure that I have... And the Joker, he confesses yeah. at that point, like, because he thinks, I mean, he knows what he did, but but Bruce didn't know for sure. Right. And he was like, oh, you just verified. Thanks for letting me know. And just leaves. It's like, that's a cool move of like, I know I can't do anything to you and you want me to attack you, but now I'm... Because there's even a comment earlier in the, in the book where uh, someone's like, wasn't he just going to come after you? He's like, no. He's like, he, need, he, like, he needs evidence to, yeah. before he makes it. Like, he, knows, he knows Batman's tendencies of like, he needs to really think this one through before he acts. So we, we're going, we're going to exploit that, you know. Like so, there, there's interesting things in this book. It was good. I liked it, um, and I think the death part of it was handled well. Um, but I feel like I, I just, you know, he he's upset, and I know this is something that, that I'm sure it followed for a number of years after this. 
Um, it just like after the initially the after the initial death, it's like suddenly he's now back. Well, I still got to deal with the Joker, and it's like there's him telling Jason that you've not processed your feelings about things is turning it's turned against him because honestly he's driven mad he not mad angry because of you know jason's death he hasn't had time to process his feelings about yeah. it either because even then when, when uh, alfred's like i i've i've called uh master, master dick. dick and he's like nope i don't want to talk to him i'm doing this alone like just like he he is guilty of doing the same thing and i know that's why he was saw that in jason but he's now also doing the same thing of not processing and just wanting to act yeah and i, I also love the fact too that um you know, after Batman finds out what the Joker's plan is, there's a conversation that happens between Batman and Superman where essentially, you know, there's a representative from the government who's like, yeah, this we basically asked Superman to, like, keep an eye on you because the Joker now has diplomatic immunity, meaning no matter what he's done, he, he cannot be tried for those crimes. And, uh, you know, there's a moment where Batman looks at him. He's like, is that how that's going to be? And, and Superman's like, I'll do what I have to do. Yeah. But after he leaves, there's another conversation between Batman and Superman where Bat- Superman's like, hey, I saw that your ward passed away. And he doesn't know that he's Robin at that yeah. point. He's like, was he Robin? And, you know... Uh, <sighs> It's a nice little moment between those two characters, and it, well, it actually calls makes, him Clark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, and it, it makes as as goofy, comic booky as it is, Superman's role at the very end of the story is. Um, it it makes for a nice segue into their relationship. I, I guess. This aside, I, I posted on my personal Facebook page a snippet of part of that. It was great. <laughs> uh, so the Joker releases the gas, and Superman goes. It sucks it all up. But so it's like he sucks all this dangerous gas up, right? And like, you know, stops the Joker's plan. And then he's still talking to Batman. So it's like, you know, have you ever taken a deep breath and tried to talk where it's just like, okay, I got I got to go. And he's like, he's just like, I got to get rid of this gas. And just like, he just flies away. And he's like, I got to get rid of this gas. I'm like, yeah, it's just like, I don't know what voice he was using there. Like, I know he has superpowers, but he doesn't have four lungs, you know, like. But I love that he's just flying off saying, I got to get rid of this gas. I'm like, yeah, we've all been there, Superman. <laughs> but uh, we'll go fart in the sun. I'll be right back. You know, like. <laughs> the other thing I was going to say is it's not part of this collection, but the very next issue after this um, is a standalone story that's just Batman uh, dealing with a sniper. Um, and it's him kind of processing his feelings about Robin. Okay. And, um, the next year and a half of stories are about Batman just kind of coming apart in a lot of ways. And that's what will introduce us to Tim Drake, who becomes the third Robin. He notices that Batman suddenly like taking a complete loss of um, measure or of care for himself and becoming more reckless. Um, and he's, he's figured out uh, who Dick was. He's figured out who Jason Todd was. And he goes to, um, to Dick Grayson is like, hey, you need to be Robin again because he's going to get himself killed. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a nice sort of way to... There's a nice uh, arc, I guess, for that those two years after this story of building up to that new Robin. Um, And even so, with that, uh, the Joker... And this is the crazy part. This happens in 88... Uh, the Batman movie comes out in 89, which, huh, surprises, we're going to probably talk about that this year. Um, He's not cleared this with me. I just, I think, <laughs> the, the Joker... Yes, Steve, we'll talk about Batman. ...is thought to be dead. 
for almost two years in the comics. Mm-hmm. He doesn't come back till I think like 1991, hmm. and I'd have to check the the issue date on it. But like they make a big deal about his return. I can't imagine that in today's market. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if there was a, an issue where, okay, if there's a storyline where you know. Um, Wolverine dies, there's going to be 75 comics Wolverine, you know, or with that character. Like, there'll be a huge... Well, you know what they did? They killed him, but they brought an old man Logan to fill the gap. And it's like, well, it's a different Wolverine. He's just cranky. It's fine. It's fine. So I just... the. It's astonishing me now looking back on it to go, wow, they really thought about how this would play out in the story and where they're going to go in the next year or two. And I believe they still do this. It's 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 what they call the conference where all the writers get together and they plan out the year's worth of, of books mm-hmm. um, and how they're going to you know reinterest certain characters or the stories they're going to tell. But um, the, the issue after this issue... Um, I think it's 4.30, because uh, Robin dies in 4.28. The resolution's 4.29, 4.30. It's just Batman against a sniper. Um, and it's almost a completely wordless comic. Like, he's... He he talks to Gordon at the beginning of it, and there's just this great panel where he's like, hey, is Robin with you tonight? And Batman's just silent, and he's like, no. And he leaves. <laughs> um, and uh, I would highly recommend that issue as well. Okay. Um, but, you know, I don't know that I'm making a strong case for why it is that I loved this so much, but wh- what it gave me was as a new experience. This gave me Batman as a character that I, a way that I'd never seen him before. It introduced me to comic book art, really, which I just I'd always assumed was the same no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, this was the thing that, you know, got me to uh, ask for how to draw comics in the Marvel way. This is the thing that, you know, got me to think about story and. You know, even though I watched movies and TV shows and comics and I read books, like this is the thing that really got me to think about how a story is told. Okay. Um, and even if it's not evident in in the things that I do now, um, this is where all that came from. And I, that's really one of the reasons that I love this so much. Like it's a, a prized possession. Now, granted, this is the, the trade. Uh, paperback of it, which I bought, I think, like six months after the first comic that I bought up, uh, picked up, because it, I didn't have the first two issues. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and back in those days, I didn't have a comic book store in Sandusky. So, if if I didn't make it to Kroger at the time that the oh comic yeah, was I, on I, stand, I remember that panic of like, if I don't go to the, the stands to get my books, like at mm-hmm. the at the Rite Aid, like I wasn't getting them. You know? <laughs> that's not so, a joke. That's oh, there was that a comic. Was, no, yeah. that's absolutely. How it was for me as well. So like, I would not know what happened to Ninja Turtles next issue if I did not go and get that book. <laughs> I didn't make smart buying decisions then. But you're talking about this is kind of goes back to our discussion that we had about God love, uh, God loves, man kills. Where mm-hmm. that was like my first introduction to like a serious comic book and how it kind of changed my viewpoint on things. So and I think that the, these aren't aren't dissimilar. Like they handle yeah. very heady subjects um, with characters that. Used to would would have adventures and have their own you know own problems, but you wouldn't consider like you know this this is a family you know, when it says death in the family it's it's true it's him you know losing a son in a sense you know and and also with the character that you know he lost his parents I mean I don't know if you guys know this Batman's parents were killed when he was a young you know young it's never Spoilers. been covered ever it's never been covered in any of the movies ever Ugh. but. Um, yeah. And like when, with, you know, God loves man kills, it was like, you already knew the X-Men were kind of a stand in for like, um, society in terms of like, you know, always hating like the, the unknown, but then it's like, it took it like to uh, like a different area, yeah. you know? So 
no, like this, I'm like for, for something I thought I'd already read and clearly I knew the story and in, in the sense of that there was the vote, uh, and the, the decision and also like, cause I feel like the, here's the thing too. And this is the, maybe this will be the button to, to go out on this. Like people are so adamant about decisions that are made in any medium now that they'll go on the internet and argue one way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, I can, and I know I made the joke about the Peyton Hills cover. I cannot imagine a company right now, like putting out something and being like, you decide and it not just becoming this absolute firestorm. Like for goodness sakes, whenever Captain America uttered hail Hydra, people lost their goddamn minds yeah. and they didn't even have a say in that. Um, you know, so like th- this is interesting for its time. I feel like now there's almost um, feedback's almost too easy to get that. I don't know if you want to, if you'd want to, um, you know, hazard that, like that, yeah. uh, that thing again, you know? So like you ended up having Batman sidekick be called Bodie McBoatface or something, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah. um, so it's cool that for what it was, and uh, and that even though you know it was, I mean, uh, comics are there to sell comics. We get it. It, it. It's what pays the people that make them. So obviously, this was a marketing decision, yeah. and it's in a sense to to create a splash and to make money. But there was thought put into it, as opposed to later, whenever it's like, oh, we killed Superman. We're now we're going to screw up Batman, and now we're going to do like everybody is like, no, 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 no. We could kill our characters too, and suddenly it's like that's what that became that whole big thing, you know? Um, Yeah. Well, I think it's also like interesting that you know up until I believe Jim Lee's run on Hush, which uh, is basically where we're first introduced to a character who is after Batman, but we don't know who it is. There is part of that story is that Jason Todd's body is missing from his grave. Mm-hmm. Um, and up until that point, Robin had been dead for 15 years, or Jason Todd, I should say, had been dead for 15 years, which in comic books time, that's like forever. Yeah. Like, you know, I was actually even resistant. I don't care so much now because it doesn't affect one way or another because I'm not currently reading. But I, I will say that, like, one of the things that I don't like is the instant buyback of deaths in comics. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's, it, we're just so used to it at this point that it becomes a cheap gag. Well, like, um, like Craven the Hunter was dead for a very long time and uh, they, they brought him back eventually. Yeah. I know um, uh, McFarlane did for the uh, first torment uh, storyline. Norman Osborn. I never, I never thought he was coming back. Right. And, you know, and, um, and they, even like Gwen Stacy, they didn't bring her back in full, but she's, they kind of have, you yeah. know, like they're those ones <laughs> that like, you know, it just those are the like for like thirty years or so. It's like they're they're not coming back. Well, you know, Bucky's like, the prime example of that he, for a long time. Bucky yeah. was dead. Yeah. Um, so I mean, uh, at the time, you know, that was one aspect of it that I was unhappy with. Now I'm just sort of like, well, you know, it's not it's not what I'm reading anyway at the current time. You know, and if somebody's enjoying it more power to them. Um, but uh, you know, for a very long time, the story was. And they still play up on it. I mean, they did an arc, and we talked about this before we started recording, called A Death of the Family, which mm-hmm. didn't so much involve one of the characters dying, but basically... The Joker trying to kill all the Bat family yeah. together. Because like, for, for someone being a loner... He has like 87 different people named like, like bat stuff, right? Yeah. Like there's like I was making the joke. I recently had purchased the Batman Ninja uh, film, the anime, uh, which I'd given to Steve. It's going to be talked about here or someplace else eventually, I'm yeah. sure. But at one point, Batman's surrounded by Batman, Robin, Red Robin, Red Hood. Um, and Yum. like, yeah, there's like, like, well, if you have to have Robin and Red Robin, then Red Robin needs just a different name. <laughs> <laughs> like, like Red Hood is a, like that's something separate, right? That's fine, yeah. but it's like it'd been like Robin and 
that guy. Like, I don't know. Like, well, I think also too that like there comes a time where you sort of realize that like I can still read Batman and I can still enjoy it, but like there there kind of becomes a point where it's the next generation's version of the character. Mm-hmm. So there are probably people who love Jason Todd now, whereas I always grow up as like he's the kid who's talked back to Batman and has been dead for twenty five or fifteen years. Well, he doesn't deserve to come back. But like Miles me. Morales is called Spider Man. Like he's yeah. not called like you know. Um, I don't know, red and black Spider-Man or whatever. Right. Like he isn't, he isn't called that. He isn't like called like, you know, Spidey junior or something like yeah. it's just, he's Spider-Man and uh, everybody else is Spider-Man. It's like, except for Spider-Gwen, like she's, she's yeah. spider and there's Spider-Woman, you know, uh, like, why did I say woman? Like, I, don't I don't know. know. There's sp- <laughs> this is Spider-Woman. Woman. Isn't it just Spider-Woman? No. no. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, like this, like this was a big deal because, like honestly, like you know, you, this in, in, in comics sometimes characters they may like for this the sake of um the you know becoming uh, Dick Grayson becoming Nightwing it was just a progression yeah you know like oh he's, he's his own thing oh now there's another Robin but to be like no 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 we're killing this one that must that had to like it, clearly it was a big deal yeah. you know so yeah. I think also some of it came into play the fact that Tim Drake has always been my favorite Robin as well mm-hmm. he's the one who replaces Jason Todd so like when Jason Todd was possibly coming back I was like that can't happen was that Tim Drake the one in the animated series. Was that yes. Him? Well, okay. what's interesting about that is, is the the animated series starts off with Dick Grayson, who later becomes Nightwing. That's in the that's series. right. No, you're right. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. the second Robin is Tim Drake, but he's like a combination. He's got Jason Todd's backstory. Okay. But he's Tim Drake. Okay. So it's it's weird. Oh. So all right. Um, that's going to do it for our discussion about Death in the Family. Um, I'm sure it's easily available to find. It's a, it's a big deal. It's available on Comixology. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it's more expensive now. At the time, it was uh, this trade paperback was three dollars and ninety five cents. Oh man. Um, for all four issues together, and issues by themselves were seventy five cents. So I think I paid a little bit more for the collected edition. Um, <laughs> where if you can find a collected edition under twenty dollars anymore. yeah uh, but i'm sure digitally you could find it like i'm sure there's yeah so um yeah uh you guys can find us on facebook if you want to comment on on this or i don't if there's other tell us what comics you've read like what's your first comic yeah there you go tell us that That, that'd be great so you can find us on facebook invasion of the podcast you can find us on invasion of the podcast.com it's the blog that steve was going to write about with this but then did not do (laughs) i i will Um, be writing something for the blog um i have now challenged myself to write about new year's evil for a year of canon i'm going to show a gif that i've made right now for steve to see um I'm going to show you two gifts. One, this is from a dance thing going on and like this radio station on New Year's, New Year's Eve. Is that really, does, is that dancing? That doesn't look like dancing to you. <laughs> That's a mosh pit, That's, I think. But something, right? And then, then also they show the same broadcast to a place, a mental like facility. Yeah. We'll just check this out here, coming up. Hey, they're doing it. <laughs> They're all into I it. I would argue that the patients there, I don't know why this hospital's <laughs> letting patients be out till midnight. Um, but yeah, it looks like looks like uh, Freddie Mercury is up there. He's just having a good time. He's just, yeah. Um, and they're all having a good time. So and either Hall or Oats. I don't remember which <laughs> yeah. one's which. So uh, no one knows how to dance in a movie in which there's a lot of music. So I'm going to be writing about New Year's Evil. I just, uh, you know, it's I watched it today. Uh, it is. It is it's a strange. Percolating. Yeah, you've not seen that yet. <laughs> yes, I have not. It's yeah. in my queue on Prime. Um, yeah, you should maybe watch it, and then we'll talk about it. But I'm going to write right. about it. Uh, it will be up soon. Uh, so, uh, you guys can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Google Music, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. If you can find us, rate and review us. That'd be great. And Steve, how can people find you separately? Uh, you can find me at the SaturdayNightSlasher.com. You can also find all the wares that I sell at the Art of the Slash, which is our Etsy shop on, in Etsy. Um, 
Um, and then uh, May 31st through June 2nd, I can be found at Retro Invasion Weekend with great guests such as Joe Bob Briggs, Diane Franklin of Amityville 2, The Possession, um, <laughs> Courtney Gaines, uh, lots of folks, lots of cool guests, lots of great vendors. Come check it out. It'll be in Westlake. Perfect. All right. So uh, now that we are talking, um, this is after the Super Bowl. We have a game that is kind of Super Bowl related. So are you are you ready? Are you ready for some football? Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> Look, are you ready for some football? <laughs> And I gotta go home and get ready for some football. I think it's a Bill Duncan. Bill Duncan kid, huh? Yeah. Well, let's go get him. Let's find out if he's ready for some football. <laughs> yeah. What do we got? Another citizen who isn't ready for some football. <laughs> what well, beats me how you can swallow down a whole hot tamale first thing in the morning. I just feel like you might not be ready for some football. Anything you say can be used to get you ready for some football. <laughs> I'd like to teach the world to get ready for some football. <laughs> What's the Nothing. I'm not ready for football anymore. So that is uh, Mr. Science Theater uh, 3000 from the wonderful uh, takedown of Laser Blast, where the one sheriff or the whatever cop guy looks looks kind of like... Um, uh, Bocephus? Uh, Bocephus, yeah. <laughs> it kind of looks like... Um, uh, What's his name? The actual the singer. Is it Waylon Jennings? Not Waylon Jennings. It is Oh my goodness. Uh that's why is that failing me absolutely right now? That's terrible. Well, we're, uh, we're we're well known for our, our sports No, I, trivia. I, I, I it's not sports <laughs> trivia. Uh oh what um music trivia? Yes. This is gonna kill me. Um all right, one second. Are you ready for some football? I'm Googling this because my brain is Hank Williams Jr. <laughs> My goodness. Why did this? Yep, blanked. Yeah, that's fair. I, I, I was not ready for football. <laughs> but yeah, the sheriff looks like Hank Williams a little bit, so, or Hank Williams Jr. So they, that's, the, that's the running joke throughout Laser Blast. And critic Leonard Moulton gave that film three stars. Three stars, yeah. All righty. So uh, we're just going to basically do some Super Bowl uh, trivia, basically a true or false. Paul will tell me if uh, this is something that's actu actually accurate or if it's just something I made up. So okay. um, to be fair, most of this is not actually about uh, sports, um, the sports ball. Um, it's basically trivia around said event. I, I thought because by talk of Peyton Hillis earlier that you were going to correct me at what position he was in because I know no. that's how much you know. About 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 football. To be fair, I used to be a, a very much into football in the, up until the '90s, and then I lost interest. What, what happened? What happened in the Cleveland area that uh, would cause you lose interest in <laughs> Oddly football? Oddly enough, it wasn't the Cleveland area. <laughs> I I was a Dallas Cowboys fan as a kid. What? Yeah, uh, um, you're one of them. It was America's town. Yeah, no, or just, America's <laughs> town. America's <laughs> Dallas, team. America's town. No, um, like I grew up in an area that, that we had Pittsburgh related stations, so I grew up in like. Like basically Steeler country, but there was like Cowboys fans like everywhere. Yeah. Like 
It's, I wonder why. Is it because they were winning and people were excited for well, them? Well, when I started being a fan, they were not. Like, uh, I got my, my freshman year of high school, they went 1 in 15. So, like, I, I Did you jump hell. off the Buffalo Bills bandwagon where it's like, listen, they're never going to win a Super Bowl? <laughs> Four tries. Well, we're it's done. interesting because my freshman year, I caught hell. And then my senior year of high school, the Cowboys won the Super Bowl. Um, so within four years, they win the Super Bowl. They go from winning one game to, to winning the Super Bowl. And I was then t- told I was a front runner. I'm like, <laughs> you people were telling me four years ago that they suck and that I should not like the Cowboys. But um, to be perfectly honest, uh, there was a lot of things just going on that just uh, that I, are, are very boring and I don't want to get into, but I just lost interest basically in, in football. I, I actually kind of miss watching football. I miss having it to talk about. Well, but I'm I have sorry so to tell you this. You, you missed uh, the, like the game that was into the season yesterday. So I don't, there's I not going to be, there's not going to be football talk for a while now. To be fair, I miss having a team to root for, I suppose. Oh, well. Like, and I actually have never been to um, Brown stadium and Kathy and I have talked about going cause I, I would like to tailgate at some point. Tailgate. Like I've tailgated like, I've, I've been to a couple games, but I've tailgated, and it is, it is a weird situation. Like just because it's like you know what, like the, like I went like it was like October, so it was like kind of like freezing in the morning, and then so you overdress, and then you're just like sweating in the afternoon and like direct sunlight, <laughs> and you're like, but I have to keep drinking. <laughs> like, it's like, so hot, but I've been drinking since yeah. eight in the morning. Yeah, it gets it's it's an endurance test, but it's fun. Yeah. All right. Um, so yeah, at some point, uh, maybe I'll get back into football. Maybe I'll, maybe this coming year I'll, I'll be all about the Browns. Um, look for me in my, uh, starter jacket. <laughs> starter jacket. It'll, it'll be your Carolina Panther starter jacket. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So, all right. Well, we're going to start off with a question about Cleveland. True or false, Paul? Cleveland is the only current NFL city that has neither hosted a Super Bowl nor seen its own team, the Browns, make an appearance in one. That's not true. Do you towards the other one? They, they've hosted the Super Bowl, but their team has not made it there. Uh, well, that, that's what I mean. Like having both. Like, oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. So, no. I mean, it's not, it's, Cleveland's not the only city. So, it's false. Okay. Um, next one. Uh, sewage systems in major cities occasionally fail during Super Bowl halftimes because a large volume of people supposedly flush all their toilets simultaneously. That is true. That's actually false. That's an urban myth. I believe it to be true, though. <laughs> All righty. Uh, statistically, for every half million chicken wings sold, at least 100 wings are potentially owl or bat. <laughs> owl or what? <laughs> Sorry. I'm, I, I may have been drinking when I put this quiz together. <laughs> So I'm sorry. Um, statistically, for every <laughs> every half million chicken wings sold, okay. at least 100 wings are potentially owl or bat. <laughs> well, bat is chicken of the cave. Um, so I'm I'm going to say true because I want it to be true. <laughs> I totally forgot about that. It's false. I know. But, I just... Oh my god. You, uh, have you seen Anchorman too? Yes, yes, okay, I yeah, like, like, yeah, like, you know, chicken of the cave, and it's like, what about cats? He's mean chicken of the real yard? Yeah. Oh. Owl, owl wings, yeah. I, I love that I'm the one who's most amused by our game. That's great. All righty. Number four, uh, the amount of methane gas produced from food and beverages consumed during the Super Bowl accounts for a 3% of annual percentages overall. Uh, true i feel like there's a lot of gaseous food eaten (laughs) there is but i just made that statistic up (laughs) it's like i mean i know i know uh climate change is real and global warming is real but it's like i just want to believe like like three percent of it's just farts (laughs) from uh 
from watching the Super Bowl. I feel like that's like well, because like oh, like that's a true thing with cows though. Like of all yeah. the methane they emit, that's actually affecting the environment as well as everything else. So yeah, I just like the idea that three percent of all yeah. is from people farting after the Super Bowl. I I write classy uh, stuff here, folks. Um, in or a 2014. Uh, change.org petition to have Weird Al Yankovic headline the Super Bowl halftime show received more than 100,000 signatures. That's true. Yes, that is true. And I don't understand why that's not happening. Like, uh, people... His, his approach to music would be perfect for that type of setup. Yeah, yeah, it would, actually. And the fact that, like, there's nobody that... I don't know. Do you know anybody who's excited to see Maroon 5? <laughs> Like I didn't even watch, so clearly we were, I wasn't. We were but. talking about that last night. It was like the the girl I was talking to. She was like, "Do they even have enough songs to do this?" Like, and then, <laughs> and we're having this talk about. It. I'm like, "Yeah." I was like, "Maroon Five was the thing." Like early on with like you know um that album songs about Jane that they put out like you know 15 years ago, and I'm like, "Oh, they had a couple hits," and then like they disappeared forever, and then much like Jason Todd, they show up later, <laughs> reanimated, and you're like, "What's going on?" And it's like. You know, like I, I made the joke. I was like, "Man, I, I, I just you think Matchbox Twenty is like that could have been us, right?" You know, like yeah. Candlebox is wondering. Where Candlebox, they're like, "Listen, we had one and a half songs out there, <laughs> but we've been left far behind." <laughs> so number six, a a few days before Super Bowl Twenty in 1986. Bears quarterback Jim McMahon mooned a TV news helicopter that was flying over one of Chicago's practice sessions. That yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, that's that something is true. Jimmy Mack would do. Yep, I just enjoyed the, the fact that he was mooning people. Um, number seven. In 1986, Hasbro proposed a halftime show performed by the band Lion in conjunction with the release of Transformers the movie. I wish that was true. No, it's not. It's not. But wouldn't that have been amazing oh if like goodness. it's the, the band if, Lion and then what, people in like, like what if Stan Bush just came out and was just like, you know. <laughs> uh, <sighs> this next one here is uh, I believe the very first uh Super Bowl uh during Super Bowl 1 in 1967. NBC was still in commercial break when the second half kicked off. Officials asked the Packers to kick off again. That's true. Yeah, that is true, which that, is really weird. That's, I, I think that's, it was either that one or the third one where that was so cold out that the actual cameras froze in the end zone so they could only have one angle. And there's a very famous shot of someone running in for a touchdown that they're all like, thank God he ran into that point of the field there because otherwise we would not have that on camera. Oh, wow. Because it was up in Lambeau Field because the way it worked then was like whatever team had the better, like they're the ones that hosted the game and it was just ice and like the cabling, just, I mean, like late 60s camera technology. Yeah, they're like, thank goodness they ran that play there. Otherwise, no one would have known what happened. <laughs> you know? It would have been contested throughout most of time. Yeah. <laughs> The football that didn't happen. The football that didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't surprise me. They're like, "Oh, could you kick that again?" Like, I'm sure that the, I'm sure that players are like, "You're kidding me!" You know. Right. Like, but yeah. <laughs> In 2003, the trailer for Ang Lee's Hulk premiered during the halftime commercial uh, slot. In support of the film, all attendees were given green footballs with the slogan, "You wouldn't like him when he's angry." Written on the side. That sounds right. That's uh, that's probably not right, but. It, it's false. It did premiere during that because I remember like waiting to watch it online the next day or rewatch it online again. Mm -hmm. And it was 2003. So, of course, it took like, you know, eight hours for it to download. <laughs> and it was download. like low res. Yeah. Is that a Hulk poodle? I don't know. I mean, we're going to go see the movie. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what everybody wants to see that movie for. <laughs> Um, number 10. I mean, you didn't want to see Nick Nolte as like, you know, the magic hobo, like uh, the absorbing man. <laughs> Isn't that every movie yeah. that he's in? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Although I believe he's also in The Mandalorian. 
I believe him and Carl I, I, Weathers. I hope he is the Mandalorian then. No, it's like, <laughs> it would be amazing. Carl Weathers needs to be the Mandalorian. Like yeah. uh, just you just after watching Action Jackson, I believe. Yeah. Or hopefully he just fries like a Gamorrean guard and is like, how, how do you, you like, like your ribs? How do you like your space ribs? <laughs> uh, Coca-Cola introduced new Coke during the halftime show of Super Bowl Twenty in a series of ads showing popular stars such as Arnold Schwarzenegger, Heather Thomas, and Goldie Hawn drinking the beverage. That sounds right. It's false. I made that oh. up. I just... <laughs> But yet, but yet, I believe the one about the owl and batwings. I know. I know. Um, um, it's it's because I didn't read it while laughing the entire time. Um, it would it sounded false because I don't think Schwarzenegger did any like American advertising. Like he always do like the weird Japanese things. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just picked him because it was he was gonna be him or Stallone. So um, if it was Stallone, I would have believed it more. Yeah. I still have been wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, in an episode of The Simpsons, which aired on January 23rd, 1992, Lisa con- correctly guessed that Washington would beat Buffalo in Super Bowl, whatever year that is, uh, or whatever Super Bowl that is, because uh, I'm not sure what I wrote down, which was played three days later. So I'll reread the question without that weird phrasing in there. In an episode of The Simpsons, which aired on January 23rd, 1992, Lisa correctly guessed that Washington would beat Buffalo in the Super Bowl that year, which was then played three days later. That, yeah, that seems right. That is true. Because yeah. I know they'd also do the gag, too, where they would always, like, something later where they would mention teams where they, they'd cover their, their mouth with their hand and be like, hey, are you guys watching the Washington Redskins? Yeah. It was like, <laughs> so that way they could always dump it in, like, this, this is a joke, yeah. Uh, 2010. Uh, the Super Bowl featured an unusual piece of memorabilia. The coin that was flipped right before the game had previously spent 11 days orbiting the Earth on a NASA space mission. That's true. Yeah, that is true. I guess if I were to say true to everything, I'm going to be like probably half right. But yeah, yeah, that's, no, I, yeah, no, yeah, you that's got true. a 50-50 shot. Yeah. Like a coin and I'm flip. not keeping yeah. score, yeah. so it doesn't really matter. Um, next one here is uh, James Brown actually covered Super Bowls 7 and 8 for Rolling Stone. Like as a reporter? Mm-hmm. See, that's just weird. I got to say, yeah. Yeah. It, it wasn't James Brown. It was actually Hunter S. Thompson. But oh. I was trying to find somebody. Because you wouldn't automatically think Hunter S. Thompson either, like, covering the Super Bowl. I just like that James Brown was like, he was like, well, he's like, the cocaine reserves were low those days. But I did manage to beat seven women. Like, what is this about Super Bowl? Oh, yeah, there's football stuff going on, you know. Uh, so uh, I'm going to be honest here on the next three uh, I I know one of them to to be um, accurate. The other two I realized was the end of the night and the end of the beers. So I don't I didn't write down if they're true or false. Okay, so, so you, 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 you finished be, you finished right. your bat wings and you yeah. weren't sure if uh you know. So uh, this this next one here, Super Bowl Day is the largest U.S. food consumption day. Thanksgiving is a close second. That sounds true. It's it's actually the reverse. It's oh. uh, Super Bowl or Thanksgiving's the biggest. The Super Bowl's a close second. So. Well, because you don't go to like I mean, most people don't go to like three Super Bowl parties in one day. Where right. people will go to like multiple Thanksgivings. You know, so yeah. Um, next one here. Um, I don't remember. So, <laughs> uh, eighteen million pounds of bacon is consumed during Super Bowl Sunday. Sure, that sounds right. I think it's twelve million, so oh. I think it's false. Well, but like, I don't well, remember. What... You just told me you didn't know. <laughs> well, I'm saying I think, so okay. you could potentially be right. I hope, yeah. And then this last one here, according to RetailMeNot.com, Americans will buy twelve point five million pizzas on Super Bowl Sunday with an average order value of twenty six forty five. 
Yeah, that's. I mean, that sounds right. People do yeah. order a lot of pizza. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's true because it looks like I just copied it directly from the internet. So. <laughs> All right, so yeah, that's, uh, so some that's good, your Super Bowl trivia. Some good football knowledge there. So go out and eat uh, your chicken wings. There's a very small chance that you're going to get an owl or a bat. <laughs> oh, just, it's like this wing is weird. It's just, but but like, <laughs> is, is, there, is there more meat? Why why does it look like I have fingers? I don't know. It's tasty though. Um, hand me some of that guano sauce. Uh, so all right, that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, next week uh, we're going to be taking a look at. Because uh, Kevin Smith has now announced that the official was a Chainsaw Bob rebooted yes. is in production. Does that mean he finished Moose Jaws? Is that what? Like? I don't think Moose Jaws got made. <laughs> I wonder I, why. I wonder why yeah. that happened. <laughs> well, did, the Yoga Hosers wasn't like you know the success they hoped it would be. No. Uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, this is what's supposed to be happening now. So we figured it'd be kind of interesting to go back to look at like uh, just. The Clerks cartoon series. Uh, it was only six episodes. Uh, you know, only was it four of them aired on or not two. Even, two aired. Sorry, yeah, yeah. two aired on ABC. Uh, yeah, uh, we, Steve and I both know and love it, but it's been a while since I've watched it. And this, it was just Kevin Smith was you know was trying to stretch out a little bit in terms of what he could do. And I think that show has aged pretty well for the six episodes that it is. So this is kind of like our our. Um, uh, when we, we looked at the the other show, um, the Dana Carvey show, yeah, kind of like that, you know, what could have been. Yeah. You know, the, the, there's no documentary about the Clerks cartoon, <laughs> um, but I figured it'd be fun to look at that. I'm sure you guys can find that stuff online somewhere. Um, you know what I will say about it though is is that uh, this is back in the day when like you know they really put thought behind uh, the products that were being put out in support of things like Clerks is a television show that got canceled after six episodes yet every episode has a commentary there's production featurettes there's you know um, a documentary I believe like there's yeah. a ton of stuff on there you're lucky if you buy a new movie today and it's like you're lucky if you get a commentary so um, if you have it's like I bought I bought Avengers Infinity War and the first 20 minutes were just actually not on the disc They're like you don't need that <laughs> like you don't need it at all like but you know like but you do get a DVD copy with not missing the first 15 minutes as well um, yeah, oh. no, yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, we're going to be looking at the clerk's cartoon. Uh, I know the last time we talked to Kevin Smith or on the show was yoga hosers. This will be a little different conversation, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, and, but it'll be fun to go back and look at that. That's, uh, something that I think I, I, I mean, I, I enjoy it. I still quote it. So I think it's time to, to maybe take a look at it again. Yeah. If we don't, uh, you know, title the episode. Uh, who's driving car? Bear driving car. We will have failed. Yeah, that that is fair. So that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, yeah, next week, uh, Clerks cartoon. Um, Axel Foley dis disco dancing, and we'll, we'll talk to you guys. We'll talk to you guys later.